Good morning. It is so good to see you here at Central Church today. We're starting a brand new series today called Uncertain, focusing on the life of Moses. It'll be here until uh, about the week or two before Thanksgiving. And so for the next six or seven weeks, we're going to be focusing on this uncertainty. And these have been more uncertain times, I think, than, than ever, certainly in my life, right? I've told young pastors in the past that election years are always, people are always full of uh, angst and it's always weird during election times. And so this year, election year plus a pandemic has created a perfect storm of uncertainty. And so who better to lead us and to draw strength from and from God's word than, than Moses' story? Because his life from beginning to end was certainly one that could be described as uncertain. And so we're going to focus in and zoom in on, on, on Moses and, and, and what he did and how he did it and how God spoke. See, the, the goal of this series is not simply, you know, surviving the pandemic or the election or whatever. That's, that's not my goal. When, when 2020 or maybe even 2021, who knows how long this is going to go on for. But when that's in our rearview mirror, and it will be in our rearview mirror one day. I hope you don't say, oh boy, I was beaten up, you know, thank Jesus, I made it. Ugh. You know, I'll never be the same again, but that's not the goal. The goal is that you'll be able to say, you know, those were strange and curious times. But God worked here, and he moved there, and there was that loved one that didn't know Jesus, and, and I was able to talk to them, and look what God has done, and look how God has moved, and look how God has worked, and, and yes, those were strange and terrible and curious times, but God was still with us. That's what the goal is. You know, um, my job is pastor. Uh, you didn't, the church didn't hire me seven years ago to come here. It's a calling. It's a, uh, the church board prayed and prayed and prayed, and you all prayed and prayed and prayed, and Carl and I prayed and prayed and prayed, and we believe that this is where God wants us for such a time as this. We still believe that. You know, in the seven years, it's been crazy, Flint water crisis and all the other things that have gone on, but we believe that God has called us for such a time as this. And my job as pastor, you see, is not to uh, get my cues, if you will, from uh, uh, news channels or social media or any of those other things, but rather my job, if I'm doing my job right, it's spending time with, with the Lord in prayer and spending time in His Word and, and drawing, drawing uh, uh, being faithful to God's Word. That's, that's my job. And so sometimes that means, you know, I'll be paddling the boat and, and the water on the left will be rocky and not happy. And sometimes the water on the right is rocky and not happy. And I get to try to lead through that. Oh, praise Jesus. It's a calling. It's not a job. He didn't hire me. God called me. And so I, if I'm doing my job right, that means I have to be faithful to God's word. Does that make sense? And so this study, honestly, it's a study in Moses leading through, through challenging, uncertain times. And so, you know, you all are cheaper than, than therapy, I guess. And so this may just be for me, this whole series, because Moses was leading through challenging and uncertain times. And so, so if you want to eavesdrop, that's fine. 
Uh, but mostly this is just kind of these next seven weeks, I think, are going to be my conversations with the Lord as we go through these uncertain and challenging times. So we're going to pick up, if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 1. We're going to be in Exodus 1 and 2 today. And, and that's where the whole story begins of Moses. Verse 6, chapter 1 reads this way. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generations died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was full of them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. You'll remember Joseph was the, the tail end of the book of Genesis. He was the hero of the story. His really is a riches to rags to riches to rags to riches story. And eventually he became the, the, most, the second most powerful person in the world's superpower of the time, Egypt. It was a powerful, wonderful story. Well, that was 400 years prior. And all of Joseph and his brothers, kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids, all of them had died off. That was 400 years ago. Think of it in 1620, you know, when the pilgrims came across. That's how long ago. And so a new king came to town, and he, he didn't know any, he didn't care anything about Joseph. Maybe he heard the story, there was this guy named Joseph, and he helped us through a plague, but that's it, who cares? All he knew was that there was this people group, the Israelites, that were living among his people, the Egyptians. And he was not happy about it. All he, he knew was that he was uncertain as to how these people might respond. In uncertain times, often fear is result. Look at verse 9. Look, he, the new Pharaoh said, look, he said to his people, emphasis on the word his. He's not talking to all the people. He's talking to his folks. He's talking to his yes men. He's talking to his Egyptian followers. Not all the people, just his people. The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them. Read that as we must oppress them. We must enslave them. Or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Your word for today, boys and girls, is xenophobia. That's what this is. Taken from the Greek word of fear of strangers. The new pharaoh had a bad case of xenophobia. He didn't like foreigners. He didn't, they were different. They worshipped different. They worshipped one god. The Egyptians had many gods. They were different. He didn't like it. And this xenophobic fear of his led him not only to, to worry about the, not like the Israelites, but it also had an economic twist. Did you see that? They will leave our country. You would think if he didn't like them, just get out of town, get out of here. No, 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 he wanted them there. Why did he want them there? They were cheap. They were slaves. It was slave labor. He didn't want them to go. He wanted them to work and stay. If somebody says it's not about the money, it's always about the money. It was about the money for Pharaoh. He didn't like the Israelites, he didn't trust the Israelites, but he wanted them to stay in town because they were cheap slave labor. So he treated them shrewdly, the Bible says, oppressively, unjustly. Pharaoh may have been the first, but sadly he was not the last to instill fear of a people group, to incite anger or resentment or hostility of one people group over against another people group. My fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, 
That is nowhere to be found in Scripture. We teach our littlest ones, the preschoolers, the very first verse that preschoolers learn back in our children's area is 1 John 4, 8. You may not know the verse, but you, the, the, the address of the verse, but you know this verse because you learned it in preschool too. God is love. That's the first verse we teach them. And when they can start stringing more than three words together, the next verse we teach them is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we believe that God loves the whole world. Everybody in the world. It doesn't matter if they're, if they're white or black or from China or Korea or indigenous or whoever. God loves the whole world. That's what we believe and that's what we teach. And so because of that, things like, which has been in the news a lot, white supremacy is an affront to God. We, to declare that one people is more superior over another people is everything not in the Bible. The only people who are xenophobic in the Bible are the villains of the Bible, the bad guys in the Bible, never the good guys. Having said that, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means God loves everybody. He wants everybody to, to, to come to know him. That means Christians and atheists and Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and, and, and white supremacists and Black Lives Matter folks and everybody else in between. He loves everybody, wants everybody to come into a knowledge of him. And so that means, my brothers and sisters, that if we're following after Jesus, we need to love everybody too. You know, in uncertain times, fear of the stranger, fear of the different, Fear of the minority, fear based on color or nationality or ancestry or anything else. I don't trust them. Anything else is an outgrowth of those uncertain times. And you know what God's word says about fear, don't you? It's just a few verses down from that first verse we teach the preschoolers. 1 John 4:18. Perfect love drives out fear. If we're going to follow after God, if we're wanting to, to be full of his love, then that would drive out, that would eliminate, that would not, uh, not uh, uh, allow any fear to overcome us. You see, Pharaoh's plan, his xenophobic plan, was to work the Israelites so hard, so hard that they, 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 they couldn't you know, make war or make babies or make trouble. But guess what? It didn't work. The more that they oppressed the Israelites, the more they, they, they multiplied. It shouldn't have been, that, that is illogical. You know, if you're working, 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 slave labor, working all the time, you don't have time for any extracurricular activities. But the Israelites were having baby after baby. Verse 12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Pharaoh's big problem became a bigger, bigger, bigger problem. Since he overworked them, didn't work. He devised a new plan. Plan A, work them like dogs. Plan B, kill the baby boys. Evil always has a way of eliminating life, always. That was Pharaoh's way. That was Herod's way. Remember when Jesus was born, kill all the babies who were two and under? That was, that was Hitler's way, kill all the Jews and anybody who might be helping them or anybody who disagreed with Hitler. That was Stalin's way, that was Pol Pot's way, that was the Hutu's way in the Rwandan genocide in the 1990s. Eliminating life is evil's way. We just said God is pro-life. 
And that's why abortion statistics should drive us to our knees. Evil always, always, always tries to eliminate life. Jesus always, always, always promotes life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that. Listen, we're living through a pandemic for crying out loud. There's been over 200,000 deaths. I put something like that. Oh, I hate Facebook. Oh, it's a cesspool. I put something on, something about how I was you know, grieving the 200,000 deaths or something like that. And someone put on my page. They put on my page. Well, that's not all COVID-19 deaths. Blah, 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 blah. <sighs> I'm not a politician. I'm not a statistician. I'm a pastor. It's a calling, Rob. It's a calling. I love it sometimes. All I know, 200,000 deaths is a lot of deaths. I've done only one funeral of someone who's died of COVID since this whole thing began. But it was not some 90-year-old whose great-great-grandkids were there mourning. It was a guy in his 40s. And he had a wife and two teenage kids. And his mom and dad are Nazarene pastors. And his two brothers are Nazarene pastors. And back then, in those days, at the early part of this, you know, there was only 10 people at the funeral home, and that was it. And that, their hearts were breaking. And those teenagers, they didn't care if they're dead. He did have some underlying conditions. But you know what? COVID-19 pushed him over the edge. And they didn't care what caused it. All they cared about was their dad isn't going to be at the dinner table anymore. And their dad, I don't know why, he liked the Green Hornet. The Green Hornet, of all things. But they're not going to be able to watch the Green Hornet anymore. That's what they cared about. And you multiply that by 200,000, that's 200,000 families that are grieving. And we Christians, what are we called to do? We mourn with those that mourn. We don't care how that happened. We, we, obviously, we care how it happened. We don't, we don't obsess, on, we obsess on the fact that they're mourning and we're going to come alongside them. That's what Christians do. We care. We mourn with those that mourn. We love those that have struggled and are in a terrible place and are grieving and their hearts are breaking. And what do Christians do? We come alongside them and say, we're here with you. That's what Christians do. <sighs> well, Pharaoh's way is to kill. Jesus' way is life. Not, we Christians are called to follow the Jesus way. Not the news channel's way. Not the social media bent's way. We are called to follow the Jesus way. And the Jesus way is to love one another. So in uncertain times, don't let fear, don't let hatred overtake you. There's a better way, the Jesus way. And in uncertain times, you'll be tempted to compromise. Just say no. Look at verse 15. The king of Egypt said to Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you say that, see that it's a baby, the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Shifra and Pua. We've preached on Shifra and Pua before, and we've talked about how names in the Bible are important. And when God blots your name out, when your name is not included, that's terrible. And you can see it in, in Psalm 9.5. It says, you have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. That's the worst you can get. Blotted out forever and ever. Your name is not remembered. But here's Shifra and Pua. Two little midwives. In the whole scope of the, of, of, of the world. Two little midwives, Shifra and Pua. We don't know anything about them. We don't know where their family is. We don't know where they came from. All we know, but we know their name. Shifra and Pua. 
Pharaoh. Pharaoh's mentioned 107 times in the book of Exodus. 107 times. But Pharaoh's not a name. Pharaoh's a title. It's like king. His name is never mentioned. We're not told what his name is. It's just, you know, Pharaoh, what's his name? Who cares? Pharaoh, what's his name? But Shifra and Pua, those champions of life, Shifra and Pua, those, those two women who refused to, to, to fall into line with the evil order of king, what's his name? Shifra and Pua. They've gone down in history. But this guy, Pharaoh, who's he? Who cares? Shifra and Pua refused to give in to evil. They, they refused to, to accept the evil order of an evil king. And they've gone down as champions for life. Pharaoh, the big cheese, the, the super world superpower. We don't even know his name. Pharaoh, what's his name? But Shifra and Pua had the courage to say evil is evil and we will not be a part of evil. So they lied. They lied to Pharaoh. When he discovered that there was still a bunch of little Hebrew boys and girls running, boys running around, he told Shifra and Pua, he was not happy. He blew a gasket. Verse 18, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And there it comes, their, their big fat juicy lie. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife even arrives. Liar, liar, pants on fire. They lied. Hear me, you are not supposed to lie. I know you're not supposed to lie because it's in the Ten Commandments. We're going to get there. I don't know, October 25th, November 2nd, something like that. We're going to be in the Ten Commandments. And you'll read it there. Thou shalt not bear false witness. You're not supposed to lie. But you're also not supposed to kill. Thou shalt not kill. And if I had my druthers, I'd much rather you lie about me than kill me. Uh, and I've had, I've had, you know, I've had a few people lie about me down through the years, but I don't, I don't know that I've had anyone try to kill me, uh, unless you take into account Carla feeding me cauliflower. She tried to sneak a piece of cauliflower on my plate this week. Carla, I know your evil tricks. You're not supposed to lie. Those women were faced with a terrible choice. What am I going to do, lie or kill? It's the same choice that Christians had to make in, in Nazi Germany. Am I going to hide these, these Jewish people in my basement? Or am I going to allow the Nazis to take them and kill them? It's the same, it's the same choice that Christian uh, uh, Hutu uh, tribesmen in Rwanda had to make when they were hiding Tutsis in their, in their, in their houses. Listen, those are extreme examples. You probably will never be faced with that choice, lie or kill. But you will be faced with the choice of compromise or not. See, these ladies understood that evil begets evil. Pharaoh's plan A, work the Israelites like dogs, didn't work. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's plan B, get the midwives to kill the baby boys, didn't work. So old stinking Pharaoh, you know what he does? He comes up with plan C. It's in verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Plan C was for all the people to participate in the genocide. Not just the midwives, not just these two ladies, but all the people 
if you see a baby boy, toss him in the river. Plan A didn't work. Plan B, the midwives, didn't work. Plan C, everyone becomes a murderer now. Evil begets evil begets evil. There's a downward spiral to evil. Paul's instruction to Timothy is simply this. Evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Evil left unchecked always gets worse and worse and worse and worse. That's the nature of evil. That's the nature of sin. There's a downward spiral to sin. You can't stop at one little sin. You don't stop at one little compromise. You make one little compromise. It makes the next compromise easier and the next one easier and easier and easier. And pretty soon it blows up. No one wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I think I'm going to have an affair today. No, it's one compromise after another compromise after another compromise. And they move the line and move the line and move the line until finally their life is destroyed. That's the way evil works. Evil begets evil begets evil. It starts with little compromises and little compromises until one day you wake up and you're not the person you used to be. In uncertain times, fear is exaggerated. And in uncertain times, little compromises come in. And in uncertain times, even when, no, especially when, heartbreaking situations arise, trust God. Almost by definition, uncertain times means that there's going to be some heartbreaking times, or at least the potential for heartbreaking times. You know, this is bad. It could be really bad. Maybe it'll be okay, but it could be really, really, really bad. That's the definition of uncertain times. I mean, it may be bad. It could be good, but it may be bad. Listen, we are living in uncertain times. For some families in America today, it's really bad. They're dealing with the grief of COVID deaths or the pandemic caused problems, unemployment or psychological, emotional problems. Suicides are up, murders are up. The school confusion, you know, for teachers and parents and kids, and it's all messed up. And then on top of that, there's uh, racial tensions. For many Americans, it's bad. So what are we going to do? We need to put our trust in God. Right? We've got to put our trust in God Almighty. Exodus 2, look at this. Now the man from the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch, and placed the child in it and put it in the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. It's the story of, the, of, of Moses. You all know this. You were in Sunday school. So Pharaoh's plan A, work the Israelites like dogs, doesn't work. Plan B, get the midwives to kill the baby boys, doesn't work. Plan C, get everybody to kill the babies, participate in this genocide. And then along comes this lady. We later will learn her name is Jochebed. Moses' mama, Jochebed. You can look in Exodus 6. That's where her names are. Jochebed. For three months, she tries to hide little Moses. But you can't hide. How? You can't. You can't hide. Ainsley was crying when I was trying to baptize her. You can't hide a baby for three months after that. So she puts him in a basket. You know this story. Our preschoolers are learning this story today. If, if you've got a preschooler, they're going to come out and they're going to tell you how baby Moses put in a basket. Jacobin, the mama, puts Moses, the baby, in a basket. It's a heartbreaking situation. Imagine Jacobin right there. She knows, she knows. The order's out. All baby boys are going to be killed. She's hid him for three months. Imagine those three months. Fearful for three months. 
what am I going to do? I don't know whose bright idea it was to put him in a basket, but let's put him in a basket. Now you've got to know that Jacobed was crying out to God during those times, right? God is not mentioned in those first 11 verses, 12 verses of, of Exodus. He's not mentioned once. But we are told that Jacobed came from the Levite tribe, the tribe of Levites. The Levites were the priestly tribe. Her, her daddy was a preacher. So you've got to know, old Jacobed, she's crying out, Lord, you've got to save my baby. You've got to, I don't know, how, I don't, you've got to do something with Pharaoh, what's his name, but you've got to save my baby because that's a terrible order and God, if you don't work, I don't know what's going to happen. You've got to save my baby. You've got to know she was praying that. I know she was praying that because you parents, you know, we pray desperate prayers too. Our kids are a mess, Lord. You've got a word, you've got to step. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you've got to step in there. That's what parents do. When you're in trouble, when you pray for it doesn't matter if your kid is a baby like little Moses was or 50 years old, you're still praying for your kids. In uncertain times, fear may creep in. In uncertain times, you might be tempted to compromise. You have a choice to do the right thing. You might be tempted. And in uncertain times, we've got to be like Jacobet and just trust God Almighty. That's the bottom line, trust God. And when it seems like we, we don't have the answer, trust God. When we don't know what's coming, what's going to happen next, trust God Almighty. When we don't know how to turn or where to go, trust God Almighty. That's what Jacobed did right here. She trusted the Lord. Look what happens. 